Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's encouraging and faith-building message from C3 Topol. For more information about C3 Topol, visit our website c3churchtopol.org.nz. Now for this week's message. So, hey, I'm so excited as we carry on. Thanks, guys. The Lawless Love series that we're in uh, in the whole month of February. It's going to build. It's going to be such a tremendous time next Sunday. It's going to be one of the greatest Sundays of the year as we talk about, you know, extreme love, like we're talking about love, but we're just going to ramp it up on Valentine's Day. Who was in church when we did speed dating that one Valentine's service? Yeah, no one came back. There's only about four of us that made it through the speed dating service here at church. I'm not sure if we're doing speed dating, so it's safe to bring someone like a friend. They won't be creeped out by their pastor, you know speed dating them but it's going to be so great and we do these services and we engineer them in such a way that you would feel really comfortable to bring a friend or a loved one along to them that they'd be blessed um, and you know they'd, they'd experience the love of Jesus Christ so this week invite someone from work, invite a a friend or a colleague, get them along to church. The greatest gift you can give them is an introduction to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't don't live with a what if or an if only kind of attitude. Be like, I did and it was awesome. But anyway, so we're lawless love, uh, number two today. And Galatians uh, 5 verse 22 is the great passage of scripture about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Before that scripture, it goes on about a whole lot of other fruit that aren't of the Holy Spirit, which come, which with them comes consequences or ramifications, fits of rage and drunkenness and and all this stuff. And then it goes on to say, and it starts in, in 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, so contrasting the the fruit of the world to the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. They're drawing a, a, a stark contrast between these two spirits. And it goes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, of which against there is no law. Love is lawless. Love has no constraints. Love has no boundaries. Love is not limited by class or status or education or finance or culture. There is no law against love. There is no law against us loving others, and there is no law against God loving us. That for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever that's where your name belongs, believes in Him, faith will not perish but will have everlasting life. That God's Son, Jesus Christ, displayed God's love for us that while we were still sinners, totally unaware of our need for a Savior, He was so front-footed, He died for us ahead of our revelation, ahead of us even realizing our brokenness, Christ died on our behalf. This is the lawless love of God. This is the lawless love that we're talking about all through February, that God's lawless love is not to fill your head with knowledge. It is to fill your heart with His Spirit, which 
the Spirit of God is love. The Apostle Paul said these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of all is love. That love is the, is the bridge that, that crosses great divides between the color of people's skin, the class of people's living, that, that the, even crosses the divides of hurt and unforgiveness and wrongs that have been done towards us. Love is the bridge that builds a way over to reach another person. And in fact, Rick Warren said this, God wants us to be people of the second chance. But we can't be second chance people until we realize how much of a second chance we have ourselves been given. That God's love is not to be known about, not to be taught about, but it is to be experienced in the human heart. And through experience, knowledge follows. When the Bible speaks to know of something, it is to know it because I've experienced it. It is not to know it because I've been taught about it or been educated about something. To know something is I've put my finger on a hot element and now I know that it is hot. I've not been educated that what heat is. I've experienced heat, therefore I know it. It is, it is forged into my finger, my nervous system. It is forged into my brain to tell me that I know that it's hot. When we experience the love of God, we know it to be true. And when you know something, it's very hard to unknow it. When I touch a hot element, it's very hard to unknow that experience. If I'd only just been educated about it, I can forget what I've been educated about. But when I've experienced it, I know it for myself to be true. And your heart is the God-encountering place, that we encounter God in our hearts, that He wants to, uh, like it's what He even said to the church in Revelations, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I will enter that person's life. He wasn't standing at the door the front door of a church knocking, saying, I want to come to church. You say, no, I want to come into your heart. I want to enter that place inside of you. And in that place, I want to make home with you. And in that place of relationship, in that place of discipleship, in that place of intimacy, I'm going to begin the transformational process inside your heart. Um, in Peter Cesaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he picks up on a theme that he has identified within the church. And the basic theme through his book is this, after pastoring a church and being a ministry for many, many years, uh, he saw people who knew God, who have knowledge of God, who love God, good people, who serve God and gave and built God's glorious church. People who could worship, pray, quote scripture, and minister well to others. And what Peter Cesaro saw, the author of this book, was people who were spiritually strong but emotionally weak. They were spiritually strong. They knew their Bible. They could quote the scripture. They could pray for someone effectively and wonderfully, but he also saw simultaneously the same people without the emotional fortitude to deal with the crises in life that unexpectedly presented themselves. Because if, was, if it wasn't unexpected, it wouldn't be a crisis. 
if we saw everything coming through life, like Pastor Sarah was alluding to, we would live a relatively stable and calm life. But God is, is not afraid of us going through a crisis. He's not afraid of us going through a storm because it's in that process that He forges in us and heals us and restores us. And through the process, we begin to know who God is. Like when you've gone through the valley and He's never left you nor forsaken you, you know He's the God who'll never leave you nor forsake you. But sometimes until you've gone through a dark place, that Scripture's in your head, but it's not dropped into your heart because we need context for application. We preach about faith and then we go through a season of life where we need incredible amounts of faith to get through it. It goes from an, from an idea and a theology to a, it's an integral and fundamental part of who I am now because I've got it inside of me. But he saw this and he wrote a book about it called, and you should all read it, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. That we must maintain our spirituality, but we must also maintain our emotional well-being, which is the state of the human heart. The Proverbs tell us to guard our heart because from it flows all that we do, or from our heart flows the issues of life. Like when someone... I've, I've never really been offended mentally. I'm not that smart, but no one's offended me in my brain. No one's hurt me in my brain. I've never left a conversation or engaged with someone thinking, man, my brain is sore. Like maybe if it was a super intellectual conversation where I had to really think about a lot of stuff, I may have some mental fatigue because I was getting educated or learning something, but I've never been offended in my thinking. My thinking's not that advanced. I've never been hurt in my thinking. I've never been wounded in my thinking. I've never been wronged in my thinking. I've been corrected in my thinking. If my thinking, But in my heart, I've been wronged. In my heart, I've been wounded. In my heart, I've been hurt. In my heart, I've been offended. In my heart, because it is your heart that is that wellspring of life. It is your heart that is your emotional epicenter. It is the heart that is like the hub that your life spins on. And when we aren't dealing with the issues of the heart, we simply aren't dealing with the issues of life. Because the issues of life come from the issues in the human heart. So today, in the month, this month, the lawless love is allowing the lawless love of God to impact and refill our hearts. And why is it lawless? Because there's nothing in you that the love of God cannot overcome, heal, and restore, and mend. There is no do not enter sign that, uh, that is, He is afraid of. There's no past, no present, no future that Jesus Christ is like, man, I haven't, ooh, gee. This is a new one for me. I haven't dealt with this before. I'm not sure. No, no, he's totally sure. He's totally positive. He's totally capable and able to bring you through whatever you're going through. But So in this book, Peter was drilling down into this. You can know God and love God and serve God, but that does not mean you'll have no problems. It's like this hyper-faith, blab, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it kind of, you know, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come, but how come the old keeps coming back to visit? How come the old hurt comes back to visit? The old, you know, Mark comes back to visit sometimes. It's just because it's a process. 
It's not a product that God is going for, like just popping out new creations all over the earth. Boom, 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 no problems. No, like Pastor Sarah said, the world needs real Christians with real problems to know there's hope for them. Your friends who are not saved, who have the same problems as you, need to see you with the same problems as them, making a good way through it. Through marriage problems, business problems, relationship problems, personal problems, testing and trialing and difficult, heavy problems. The world is not, doesn't need perfect Christians. It needs real Christians with real life problems, real life family crises. Seeing them pray and believe and, and keep hoping for years upon years upon years to see Christians who are not getting healed and staying sick, but still believing and still turning up to church and, and still worshiping because above circumstance, He is still God. Above problems, He is still God. Above lack, He is still God. Above crises, He is still God. In the storm, He is still God. In the valley, He is still God. In our trauma and our hurt and our pain and our offense, He is not falling off the throne. He is well seated, positioned on the throne of heaven to help us in our time of need. That's why we're told to come to His throne of grace in our time of need. That's why it exists. Not so we can come to God when we're like, hey God, look, I've got no problems today, so I'm just coming to let you know you're off the hook. I don't need any help today. He's like, well, that's not what the throne of grace is for. It's to give you power in your time of need, to give you strength in your time of weakness. Jesus, as he was about to ascend to heaven, he was standing with his disciples. In the title, this is in John 14, it says Jesus comforts his disciples. This is the title of the entire chapter. They've spent three years with Jesus, the greatest discipler in all Christian history. He discipled 12 guys that created the church which is still going, still growing, still seeing people saved over 2,000 years later. One of the most successful discipleship programs that ever took place. Theologically unfallible. He was connected to God himself. He drew down from heaven through parables and revelation, bringing forth the great mysteries of God's kingdom, stumping the most um, educated religious legalists, calling them out on a whole host of things. And this is the people that Jesus had surrounded himself with, these 12 guys, in the most amazing environment, seeing dead people raised, sick people healed, walking on water. Three years, they've been trained by the greatest rabbi in all of humanity, and Jesus is leaving, and he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He knew the flaw, he knew the bias in human humanity was to allow our hearts to be troubled. And even though his disciples had been surrounded by great theology and great education, he knew that the trouble that existed was inside the human heart. And he says, don't let it, do not let your hearts be troubled. It's a choice to allow what we focus our hearts on. It's a choice to choose what we, what we let into our hearts and, and allow to become our focus. And he's saying to them, can you imagine them standing there and he's about to 
drift on up to heaven. Who knows all manner of issues that would have brought up in his disciples. Some may have father issues. They've been abandoned. Some may have issues with authority where they've been let down. These guys hadn't been with Jesus their whole life, only three years. Who knows what Jesus leaving them was going to bring up in their life and in their hearts. But he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you something that is greater than trouble. I'm not going to remove your trouble. You've got a great work to do in front of you. But I'm going to put peace inside your heart that is going to enable you to walk through uh, whatever this ministry, this call of God is on your life. If anyone had the spirituality to get through, it would have been the disciples. He didn't say, I leave you my Bible. I leave you, you know, a church building plan. I'm not leaving you knowledge. I'm not leave- I've written, you know, go back to the home and in there, I've just left you all my notes. And you just go over my notes and just, you know, you'll learn and you'll, that'll be the way to do it. He says, don't, be, don't let your heart be troubled and I'm going to give you peace. Jesus speaks to their heart because that is the place where we need to hear God from. We need to hear God in our heart of hearts in that place. When we grew up in our house, every morning we had breakfast at the end of our kitchen counter. The toaster would come out, four children, mum and dad, would all sit around this little half circle bench at the end of the table and would set it, plates and knives and forks. And we'd go to the pantry, and inside the pantry was like a, a fake wood tray, laminate wood tray. And on that, it had all the like butter and all the spreads. That's the word I'm looking for, peanut butter, jam, honey, marmite, Vegemite. And we'd bring it out every morning. We'd put it on the, on the breakfast table for our toast. And we're a big peanut butter family, so the peanut butter jar was always half empty. It was never half full. So when it completely ran out, we'd have to swap it out for something else, honey or jam. Now, the jam that we had wasn't like Craig's jam or Pam's jam. It was actually like Craig's mum's jam or Pam had made the jam. It was homemade jam. And we, so you have to go to the jam last resort, and you'd pop the top off, and you'd, and upon removing the top, you'd get your, you'd have your knife ready, and you'd look in there, and it's like, what the heck? And it was like covered in like gray fluff. And Mum's just like, just scrape it off. I'm like, I don't even want to touch it, like let alone scrape it off. She's like, no, no, underneath it, the jam will be fine. Like once you get through the the, the mold, once you get through like the half inch of gray fluff, just get in there and, and scrape it off, the jam will be good. And I'm like, I'll just have butter. Butter's fine, i just have dry toast. But it was amazing what was hiding under that, that little jar. Didn't know it was there and you pop the top off and it's like, oh my gosh. Quickly put it back on, leave it for someone else and go on to Vegemite or, or Marmite. Or what about who here is in the room has children? Most of us have children. And you get them to tidy their room. So you say, go on and tidy your room. Like, and after kind of half an hour of begging them, they go to their room. And then real quickly, they're like, I'm all finished. And you go in and sure enough, the bed's made. Floor's pretty clean. Drapes are open. There's like some light shining into the cave. 
You're like, how did they do this? It's like a modern-day miracle. And they're kind of just sheepishly hanging around the wardrobe doors or sheepishly kind of guarding the edge of the bed. And you're like, I'm just going to check the wardrobe. And sure enough, upon opening the wardrobe doors, it's like an avalanche of shoes and clothes and toys and dishes and everything had just like being scooped up. Nothing had actually been put away. The mess had just been condensed into like a little little corner of the room or it's all just been literally swept under the rug, under the bed and upon pulling up that little veil thing, everything's just shoved under the bed. It looks clean, it looked tidy, but the mess was still in the room. It had just been reappropriated to another place. Or the top drawer in the kitchen that when you open it, it just is like a jack-in-the-box. Phone charges come out, tape, goodness knows what else is all shoved, unpaid bills or bills waiting to be paid, everything from the letterbox. It's just shoved in there. It's kind of like the human heart, really. We love to compartmentalize it. This, this part's good, this part's good, this part's good. Don't open the lid on that. You don't know what's in there. Or the bedroom. The floor's good. The windows are clean. The bed's made, but don't, you, don't, go, in the, don't go in the cupboard. Don't, don't look under the bed. It's kind of how we like to treat our heart. This, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. No, don't, don't ask me about that. Or, you know, the, the kitchen, it's tidy, but that top drawer, if you open it, you're in for like the mother of all messes. You're in for a two-hour tidy-up job, sorting out knives and forks and sellotape and phone cords and ear, earphones. And this is like our drawer at home, paper, sellotape, hair ties, dummies. Like just like the list goes on and on. Like don't even ask where the fingernail clippers are because they're in that drawer. They have to be like a sloth in our house before you need to look for the fingernail clippers. They're so hard to find. But isn't it funny that's how we somehow we treat our heart? But the mess is still there, right? In that bedroom, just, just moving the mess doesn't deal with the mess. It just moves it. We just we hide it because it's like this pharisaical spirit. Like, as long as it looks good on the outside... It's all good, but Jesus is the other way. He's like, if it looks good on the inside, the outside will also look good. But if it's looking just good on the outside, the inside may need a bit of of cleaning up. And we can't actually compartmentalize our heart. If one part is broken, we must agree that it's all broken. I can't break part of my arm. Be like, I've just, I've just broken this, this, this patch here. Just this patch is broken. Like, no, the whole, the arm's broken. I can't break my thigh bone and see. Like, yep, I've just got a plaster there because underneath there the bone's broken. No, no, the whole leg, it's broken. The same with our heart. And I'm not saying this to be like you've got a broken heart, but I know because I've had it in my heart and. It's a process allowing God the access to those places so He can bring health and freedom to our lives so that would be emotionally healthy Christians who can deal with the unforeseen things in life. In John 11, it's the account of Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus. One of my favorite images of life coming to somewhere that's dead And that tomb is like a piece in our heart that we've rolled a stone in front of. 
because there's something dead behind it or there's something hurt behind it. There's something wounded behind it. And Jesus comes uh, to Mary and Martha. It says this, once more Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Lazarus was dead. He'd been embalmed. He'd had spices put all over his body. He'd been wrapped up in grave clothes. He'd been laid in this tomb. They rolled a stone in front of the tomb because he was, in fact, stone cold dead. He was not sleeping he was dead. Jesus even says it a few passages before. He says to his disciples, we've got to go to Lazarus because he is now dead. And the mourning process is in full motion. There's crying, there's weeping, there's wailing. There's a whole big day after day funeral process taking place because Lazarus is dead and the stone is in front of his tomb sealed him off so Jesus turns up at the at the cave with the stone laid at the entrance and he says take away the stone Jesus did not move the stone he asked them to move the stone and they said but Lord said Martha the sister of the dead man by this time there's a bad odor he's been in there for four days He's not afraid of the mess. He's not afraid of what's laying behind that stone. He's not afraid what's under the lid of the jam jar. He's not afraid of what's in the closet or under the bed. He's not afraid of what's hiding in the top drawer of the question. He's just asking you today for permission to come in to that place in your life. He's asking you for permission. As he said to Mary and Martha, move the stone, please. It was up to them whether or not the stone got rolled away. He had, the, he had said to them before, I am the resurrection and the life. I have the power and the capabilities to totally transform the scenario. Will you move the stone away? Will you allow my life to touch your mess? Will you allow my power to touch your brokenness? Will you allow me to get into that place that you're afraid of me seeing? Because when I do, I'm going to transform what you thought is dead and bring it back to life. This is what he wants to do in our hearts where we've been wounded or wronged and you know, a lot of the time we never chose these things. It was being done to us. He's saying, will you move the stone that my life might meet your mess? My power will meet what is dead inside of you. They said, then they said to Jesus, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man walked out of the tomb. This is what happens when we open our hearts to Jesus Christ. Life walks out of what we thought was dead. What we thought was messy, what we thought was powerless, what we thought was broken, as we give Jesus Christ the invitation, I'm not talking about salvation, I'm talking about the invitation into broken and hurting parts of our lives as we allow the lawless love of Jesus Christ access to those places. He floods in and what we thought was dead comes back to life. What we thought was over, He gives us another another shot. What we had buried and thought, well, that was just the season and I'm going to have to live with it. He's calling it back to life today in Jesus' name. I sat in this room 
with my mentor a couple of years ago with no lights on, right here, my favorite spot. He was there, I was here. And I had a broken heart. I was 36, 35 years old. I'm a growing man, for goodness sake, and here I am. This is what happens. I'm a growing man. I'm a growing woman. I shouldn't have problems. And here I am sitting with my mentor dealing with a problem from when I was five years old because there was a jam jar inside of me I just didn't want to open. Because I knew that, well, I was just embarrassed to open it for starters. I'm 35 years old dealing with a five-year-old boy's problem. Well, in that part of my heart, I was still a five-year-old boy that needed the love of God to heal me. I was at home one weekend. We, my father's, I love him to bits. He's a great dad. But um, he was going off to fix some irrigation out on our kiwi fruit orchard. And I love nothing more than just to go and help him. And I'd often be out doing random jobs with him, just tagging along. But this one time, he said, you know, we were about to go, so I was getting myself ready, probably putting on some old clothes, trying to find my gumboots or something, you know, trying, to, trying to get to where Dad was in the garage, you know, three-bay garage, far side. You can remember it like yesterday. This car there, boot was open, loading in PVC pipe and hacksaws and glue and spade, dig up the pipe. And I remember running up to the garage and, you know, Dad said we're going. He knew I wanted to come. I remember running into the garage, getting to where the car should have been and seeing Dad drive around the corner and like he'd left me behind. And that five-year-old boy, that stuck. I had no idea the mark that it had left, the jam jar that was inside my heart. And something came up in my life and this moment came flooding back to me when it's not my not blaming my dad for it, but I was carrying a wound. This thing that was hurting me over and over. And I was so embarrassed about it because I was a five-year-old boy, and I'm like, flip, Mark, you're a growing man. Like, get over it. Well, you can't just get over it. Don't ever tell someone to get over it. Some things aren't just get overable. But with my mentor just leading me in some really simple prayer, I cracked that lid off that jar, and I was sitting right here, just weeping. It's crying. It was reliving the moment of brokenness. But I popped that lid off that jar and what I thought was going to be messy, there was a little bit of mess. But what replaced the mess was just oh so wonderful. It was this lawless love of Jesus Christ. What flowed into that place when I unlocked it, when I gave Jesus Christ permission to say, you, you can have access to that part. You know, a 35-year-old man got patched up. Well, not patched. That part of my heart got healed. And there's been many occasions where I've had to have parts of my heart healed. And I know that you're no different to me. Maybe different scenarios, but you still got a fleshy human heart. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed week.